Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Virtual Voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Abigail Snyder, and this is the Armchair Travel Show, where you don't have to leave your comfort zone. If your comfort zone is your car, you stay there. If your comfort zone is your dorm room, you stay there. And if your comfort zone is your living room, you stay there. Last time on the virtual voyage, we were enjoying some fresh tahini at the Samaritan Harbraka Tahini Factory here in Israel. We have a lot to cover today, including an introduction to a special people group, the Samaritans, and their home on top of Mount Gerizim. Right now, we're actually standing on top of Mount Gerizim, since that's where the tahini factory is. For now, let's recap what happened last time. We had left Nazareth after visiting the Church of the Annunciation, and we're headed to this tahini factory here on Mount Gerizim, which is the heart of the Samaritan religion. We'll be discussing that in a moment. But I wanted you to try tahini from such a well-known factory because here on the virtual voyage, I hope we'll experience all parts of Israel. The biblical sites are awesome, and I love visiting authentic places where biblical figures and even Jesus walked. But Israel is also a country with its own culture and language and cuisine. And while we're here, it's important to participate in that too. That's why I take the time to stop and feed you all more than just pizza at restaurants. Yes, we could get that, but I'm sure that many of you have that as a staple in your all-American diet. Instead, let's try things like shawarma and shakshuka and hummus and tahini, things that are unique to Israel. And I also want you all to learn some Hebrew and start using it. I mean, I understand that we're tourists here in Israel. This isn't our home country. But I want us to be well-rounded and appreciate Israel for the country it is today. We have to understand that it has an amazing past. It is the Holy Land. But I think when we appreciate the culture of Israel today, we're recognizing the miracle of Israel's existence. Israel was only reestablished as a nation in 1948. That was not that long ago. And the fact that this country has successfully developed its own culture is nothing short of a miracle. God has truly had his hand over this nation, and the unique culture of Israel only testifies to this. You know, I go to a college, uh, Hillsdale College, where a liberal education is valued. And in some sense, I am trying to give you all a liberal education of Israel. I want you all to have knowledge of all aspects of this country so that you are then free to pursue whatever you find to be most interesting. That's the point of a liberal education. It frees you to pursue what you love. Maybe you want to learn more about Israeli cuisine and take some dishes back to America. Great. Maybe you have really liked learning Hebrew and are inspired to work towards fluency. And that's also great. And maybe you're extremely interested in the biblical sites as, as I am. Uh, and all of that is wonderful. But if we only focus on one aspect of Israel, whether it be sites, food, language, or anything here, well, if we did that, you wouldn't be able to discover what you might truly love. And I want you all to have the full experience of Israel. We're kind of going beyond the level of just a tourist. So all that goes to say, when some of you were disappointed that I was taking you to a tahini factory, 
I hope I've now proven my methodology there. We can always pack our days full of sights uh, and eat Cheez-Its and Cliff Bars and beef jerky on the bus. I I'm actually speaking from experience here. My family has done this more times than I can count to get to as many sites as possible. So yes, we could do that, but it's also good to slow down and enjoy a site that isn't necessarily biblical in nature. The Harbraka Tahini factory was founded in 2002, so it doesn't quite make the cut for ancient times, but there's still value in going to the factory and meeting people who work there and learning about a delicious treat. Tahini was quite yummy, I hope you'll agree. It's quite healthy, too. See, it's just ground, roasted sesame seeds that are mixed with water and salt, maybe some other spices, maybe lemon juice. Um, Harbraka doesn't actually add lemon to their mix, but that's something that a consumer could do later. I guess they also have to add oil to achieve a creamier consistency. But what's really cool about the Harbraka factory is the pipe system to get tahini from the vats where they're mixing all of the ingredients to containers that they can then sell. Now, they also have a tahini fountain, as I like to call it, and we got to experience that, where they can turn a small handle and have tahini flow out into paper cups for factory visitors to enjoy. Honestly, it's a good marketing plan. The first time my family came here, we tried the, the hot, warm tahini that was nice and fresh, and we were so impressed that we purchased four of the big containers to take home. And you're welcome to do that too. There's a gift shop around the corner where they sell the fresh tahini. I do also want to mention that you cannot go wrong with tahini in terms of health. So did you know that sesame seeds, the main ingredient in tahini, actually have some great health benefits? One is that they have a lot of fiber, which most of us probably don't consume enough of. And fiber can help reduce the risk of heart disease, cancer, uh, and even type 2 diabetes, so that's one reason why tahini is great, but I have three more. Second, protein. Sesame seeds have 5 grams of protein per 3 tablespoons, so it's easy to get some good plant-based protein if you put some tahini on a sandwich or a salad or something like that. It can also reduce inflammation, uh, and maybe your feet, like mine, have been a little tired from all the walking we've been doing here in Israel. And maybe you've had some inflammation. Well, there's actually a correlation between sesame seeds and a decrease in inflammation. Lastly, sesame seeds have a lot of antioxidants, and we can never get too many antioxidants. In your body, there are things called free radicals, which on their own are not necessarily bad. They're important for fighting infection, for example. But when there are too many free radicals, they can damage our cells. And this is why we need antioxidants. Although these do naturally occur in our body, they can also be supplemented by eating something like tahini with its sesame seeds. So go ahead and check out the tahini in the gift shop and know that you're helping your health. Now that we have our Harbraka tahini in hand, let's head on out to the bus here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Well, let's all hop in. We're going to be heading down this mountain a little ways. So for context, we've been on top of Mount Gerizim, where the Tahini factory is located. But this place is also home to the Samaritans. You've probably heard of them before. Uh, in fact, we actually discussed the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well extensively when we were at that very well in Shechem, where they probably interacted. 
So let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the Samaritans since we're here on their mountain. So first of all, Samaritans versus Jews. What are their similarities? What are their differences? So the Samaritans and the Jews are actually somewhat similar. They, they share some similar and fundamental beliefs. For example, they both believe that God is the creator of the world. They believe there was a worldwide flood which destroyed the world and Noah and his family were saved and then repopulated the earth. They believe that God made a covenant with Abraham, that Jacob and his sons made the 12 tribes of Israel, and that the Israelites went to Egypt and escaped enslavement with Moses and then made it to the land of Israel that was promised them. So we can see that the Samaritans and Jews have that same beginning story. In a sense, they're kind of like brothers in some way. But from there, their stories take quite radically different roads. So the main differences we see between uh, Samaritanism and Judaism is that the Samaritans accept only the Torah as scriptures. They only accept the first five books of the Bible, and that's it. So they don't accept the rest of the Old Testament, and this is because of a verse in Deuteronomy uh, verse 3410 that says, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So they take that literally. They say that no prophet has again risen after Moses. That's what the verse says, and they take that uh, quite literally, like I said. So Moses wrote the Torah, and so because of that, only the Torah is holy. So there have been no other prophets that have come after Moses and that means that all the writings of the prophets in the rest of the Tanakh, or the Old Testament, are invalidated. Samaritans also use Paleo-Hebrew. So they use a different kind of Hebrew script. The Hebrew you'll see on their Torah scrolls that we'll see in the museum looks different than the Hebrew that we would see on the modern street signs. We talked a little bit about first and second temple period Hebrew last time and how they differ. Paleo-Hebrew that the Samaritans use is essentially first temple period Hebrew. And there are 6,000 differences between the Jews and the Samaritans' Torah. Some are larger differences, but a lot of those 6,000 are sectarian variants, which are what set the Samaritans apart from the Jews on more minute matters. Now, Samaritan, the term actually means keeper. So they believe that they are keepers of God's true place of worship. That is, they say Mount Gerizim is the place where God should be worshipped, not Jerusalem. And this is a major differentiating factor between the two groups. So to make this work, the Samaritan Torah has had some changes compared to the Jewish Torah, specifically to emphasize that Mount Gerizim, not Jerusalem, is the place of God's dwelling and where he is to be worshipped. So some of those changes specifically are in Exodus 20 of the Samaritan Torah. It says that the Israelites should set up stones on Mount Gerizim and that they should make an altar on Mount Gerizim. And there's also a difference in terms of place versus places. Whenever the Jewish Torah uses the word places for God's dwelling, the Samaritans exchange it for place. They believe that there is only one place for God's dwelling and it is Mount Gerizim. The Samaritans also say that all of the stories the Jews say happened on top of the Temple Mount actually took place on top of Mount Gerizim. So, for example, where Adam was created, the foundation stone, the Jews say that is on top of the Temple Mount, which we've gotten to visit. But the Samaritans would say that that foundation stone is at Mount Gerizim, where the Jews would say that Abraham sacrificed Isaac on top of the Temple Mount. The Samaritans would say that happened on top of Mount Gerizim.
The Samaritans also believe that the Jews were punished for not obeying God and worshiping him at Mount Gerizim. So the, the Samaritans say that David wrongly made the capital of Israel be Jerusalem, and then his son Solomon followed his mistake by building God's temple in Jerusalem. But the Samaritans would say that they are the true Israelites, while the Jews who center their religion in Jerusalem are a mistaken cult. So overall, we see that the Samaritans and the Jews agree on the fundamental history but they orient a little differently to the facts. Now, there have been many clashes, sadly, between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jews and Samaritans had a hatred for one another and avoided each other, lest things get violent. When we were talking about Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, I know I tried to give you an understanding of why it was so radical that Jesus was going and talking with the Samaritan woman as he passed through the region of Samaria. But now you're actually seeing the historical reason for why. The Jews and Samaritans may seem to agree on the larger story, but they offer differing views on technicalities that each take so seriously. I'd also like to share with you a little bit of background on the Samaritans and just them specifically, not necessarily as compared to Judaism. So let's do that as we continue on our adventure here on the virtual voyage on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. It's important to be respectful of what the Samaritans believe, and one of the best ways we can do this is by learning about them. So first, there are only 800 Samaritans still alive today. 800-800, that's it. So half live on Mount Gerizim, and the other half live in a city close to Tel Aviv. And Tel Aviv, of course, is where the airport that we flew into Israel and started this adventure is at. Now, the population of the Samaritans used to be 3 million people, but it has been as low as 150. So they've kind of fluctuated from 3 million to 150 in 1919 to 800 today. And the reason for this fluctuation is due to violence against the Samaritans. As a group, they have really suffered war and slavery have taken their toll on the population. So many groups have terrorized them, and these groups include Greeks, Romans, Byzantines, Arabs, Crusaders, Mamluks, and Ottomans, so a lot of different groups. And many people today don't know about the Samaritans, so they don't know their sad history. But they truly have been treated very badly throughout their existence. Since the Samaritans believe in the Torah, they follow its 365 commandments, just like the Jews. But the rest of the Old Testament is composed of what they consider to be historical books. So books like Joshua and Judges and Psalms and Proverbs and Isaiah, all of that, they would consider to be historical books and not divinely inspired scripture. And that goes back to their belief of Deuteronomy 34.10 and Moses as the last prophet. Of course, they don't believe in the New Testament at all, so they're a little more similar to Judaism in that respect versus Christianity, who does believe in the New Testament. They have one leader who is a social and a religious leader, so they kind of combine um, their society and how they interact with each other and religion. So this leader has to be the oldest man and descended from Levi. So Samaritans are only descendants of Levi, Ephraim and Manasseh, so just three tribes, but the priests 
can only be from Levi. Now, they do keep kosher like the Jews, and we've learned a little bit about kosher laws as we've gone about on our adventures. Interestingly, there are no missionaries for the Samaritans, so they are actually okay with being such a small group, 800 people, as of right now. And the only way that someone can convert to Samaritanism is if there is a non-Samaritan woman who wants to marry a Samaritan man. But specifically, their men don't pursue marriage outside of Samaritanism. And this does lead to a restricted gene pool and has caused some birth defects to arise, which only compounds the problem of their very low population number, but they do not sway. They stick with that belief of how marriage needs to go. And they do keep Shabbat, or the Sabbath, as we've learned about. So that's Friday evening to Saturday evening, like the Jews. Now, Samaritans, unlike the Jews, don't have a bar mitzvah. A bar mitzvah in Judaism is for males when they reach the age of 13, and it's a celebration of them reaching manhood and fully participating in the religion. There's also a bat mitzvah for females when they reach age 12, but it's a little different. But for the Samaritans, children start to practice the religion and the rules when they turn one. Now, the Samaritans follow just seven holidays from the Torah. Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Shavuot, the first day of the seventh month, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, where everyone except breastfeeding children fast for 24 hours, Sukkot, or the Feast of Booze, and the eighth day of assembly. So you may not be familiar with all of those, and that's okay. To be honest, I'm not either. But I wanted to list them in case you are more familiar with holidays and can compare. The Jews celebrate two more holidays that the Samaritans don't, which are Hanukkah and Purim. So speaking of holidays, perhaps my favorite thing about the Samaritans is their Passover. It ends up being this week-long celebration, and surprisingly, a lot of tourists go and watch it. The culminating event is the sacrifice of the lamb on Mount Gerizim on the seventh day. Jews no longer sacrifice animals as part of their Passover, but Samaritans still do. After the sacrifice, the Samaritans enjoy a potluck of sorts. I guess potluck is the American way of, of saying it. Uh, but they enjoy uh, just coming together as a community with all of the cooked animals. The Samaritans are thankful that their numbers have grown. And at one point, like I said, there were just 141 of them in 1919. And even though there are only 800 of them today, they can still come together as a community and practice this ancient tradition. Unfortunately, we're out of time for right now. So we'll have to pick up here next time, where we'll explore more of Samaritanism, their Passover, Mount Gerizim, and more. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Virtual Voyage, the armchair travel show with me, Abigail, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I hope you'll tune back in next time as we continue to examine the Samaritans and Mount Gerizim. There's so much to explore about this fascinating religion.